How many of you would say that you want to be a better Christ follower? That's why you're here, isn't it? How many of you really want to? How many of you are wise enough to know sometimes your want to isn't enough? Everybody has a lot of want to's. And if, you know, want to was enough, we'd all have, you know, physically fit bodies and we'd all have this and we'd all have that. I mean, you know, want to is just not enough. Something else has to go into effect. But if you really want to and you have a desire, there's a way to move your walk forward in Jesus. Um, If you were not here on Sunday to hear Jeff's message, um, I encourage you to go online and listen to it. One of the, a great message on really what it means to be a true Christ follower. That to follow Christ is way more than just getting your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life to get you into heaven. It's, it, is, it is everything that we offer to Jesus. And if we understand that, that sets us up for success in our journey. Today we're going to talk about diagnose, how we, how we diagnose ourselves and take an honest look at where we are and who we are and, and how we can move forward. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Say Everybody say every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We see here you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. Everybody comfortable with that? You got a spirit, you got a soul, you got a body. We may not fully understand what each of those are, but we all know we have them as part of us. The big theological word there is trichotomy. We are trichotomist. It means we have a three-part nature. Most of us can understand how to take care of our spirit man. When you become born again, what happens to your spirit? It is renewed, right? That, that part of who you are is made brand new. It is born again. That's the part of you that gets born again. You are now born of the spirit. That's your spirit. Now let's get to body. Some of us understand what it means to take care of our physical body. That's this part of us. Eat right, exercise, don't eat right, don't exercise. All those things have effect on our physical body. But one of the parts that must be sanctified is our soul. It's the part of us that we don't talk so much about. It is the emotional center of who we are. And the Lord desires for us to be healthy emotionally. You know, it's possible to be healthy spiritually and healthy physically and not healthy emotionally. We always don't take good care of our soul, our emotions, that part of us. It's an area that we don't talk a lot about in church, but yet how many of you realize that most of the decisions that we make come out of what? Our spirit, our body, or our soul? Our soul. Because we are emotional beings, and probably if you're like me, I'm not perfect yet. I'm not fully sanctified yet. And therefore the soul is the area in which that the Lord wants to get to in each of our lives. Our soul. So we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, how do you know if you have a healthy soul? How how can you begin to tell if your soul is not healthy? And if your soul is not healthy, what you're going to face in your life is something called burnout. Everybody say burnout. Burnout. 
burnout. Now, your spirit man is not apt to burn out. It has the inexhaustible resources of the Holy Spirit. But your soul is the human part of you that can have the tendency of getting burned out. And what happens when you get burned out in life? You don't accomplish very much to you. There's all kind of net effect with that. Are you, am I, taking good care of my soul? Is it being sanctified? Are we guarding it? Are we protecting it? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul is getting ready to give us some information about the Lord's Supper. You hear this passage oftentimes quoted during communion. But look at what he encourages us to do. He says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. Judge the body rightly. In this case, the body is referring to the soulish realm, to judge himself correctly, to examine himself. You know, somebody once said you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate morality. What does that mean? You can't just tell somebody to be moral. Where does morality come from? It comes from the soul. What is the basic form of government? Self-government. That's the first and most basic form of government. If a person does not have self-government, no amount of outside government can ever govern that person. Are you tracking with me? Self-government is critical. In other words, learning how to govern oneself. You must be able to do this. In fact, if you have children, it's important not just to train your children to simply be moral and follow rules, but to think morally. There's a difference, right? One is following a set of a list. One is able to be able to process things appropriately through examining oneself. Sometimes we get so busy and are in such a hurry, we don't take some time to examine ourselves. And if we don't examine ourselves appropriately, this could happen to us in verse 30. For this reason, a, a, a failure to regularly examine yourselves, for this reason many among you are what? Weak and sick and a number sleep. I dare say that's the condition of many Christ followers today. You may be saved, you may be born again, but you're weak, you're sick, and you sleep. Because it's a failure to examine oneself and to take care of oneself. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. He gives us this little bit of instruction. He says, catch the foxes. Catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that are ruining the vineyard while our vineyards are in blossom. Now, most of us do not have a vineyard in the backyard. Probably. Anybody have a vineyard in the backyard? All right. No, right? So therefore, probably most of us don't have a fox issue. Now, you may be married to a foxy woman, but you don't have a real fox issue. Anybody have a fox issue in your, in your yard? Do you have a problem you have to go out today and, like, shoo the foxes off? All right. So therefore, we have a, then when we approach this passage, we're going to struggle interpreting because it's not, it doesn't make sense to us. 
So it's very simple that if you have a vineyard, what would happen is, is the foxes would, would come in. And do you know what a vineyard looks like? Right? He has this trunk that, that comes up, doesn't it? And then it shoots off the branches. And, we, and, and you tie them up down the line, and that's what grows the grapes. And you pick the grapes and so forth and so on. So what the foxes would do is, is they would come in and they would gnaw at this vineyard, this vine. And what would happen as you begin to gnaw one? It wasn't a slow death. What would happen? It would weaken the trunk of it. The fruit would become less and less and less. He's saying, so it's these little foxes that ultimately spoil the vine. It wasn't the tornado that blew through and knocked them all out. The big danger was the slow death. Or as the Casting Crown song talked about, a slow fade, right? Or just a slow fade, a eating away. It says you got to catch these little foxes. you got to catch them. Everybody say catch. Yeah. That, that involves something of us. we got to go out and we got to catch them, and then we have to get rid of them in order for the vine to produce what? Fruit. Do you want to produce fruit? I want to produce fruit. But you will, you will never, and I will never produce fruit until I take up on the activity of examining myself, recognizing where the little foxes are gnawing at the vine and catching them and getting rid of them. It's an effort. And when you begin to do that, you, then you begin to bear fruit and you're no longer weak and sick and asleep. 1 Peter 5.8, another admonition from Scripture, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's say whom. It doesn't say everybody, does it? It says whom he may devour. What does the word whom imply? Some versions say someone. It's not everybody, but it's those people who fall under a specific set of circumstances that open their lives up to be devoured. You see, Satan can't get to everybody. He can only get to the whom. Are you part of the whom? Are you one of those that he is able to devour? If he can get to you, he will devour you, you see. So be sober, be vigilant, be examining, be catching the foxes. All these things in Scripture encourage us to take a step back, look at our lives, and begin to assess ourselves and say, All right, Lord, where are the little foxes? getting at me. Am I close to burnout? Is my soul unhealthy? Is it not being sanctified? Perhaps you may find yourself closer to burnout than you think. This is really important to me because I have gone through seasons in my life where I've experienced a measure of burnout. And it's an, 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 an unhealthy place. And it's also an unnecessary place if we live our lives according to Scripture. So tonight I want to give you, I want to give you 10, I believe 10, correct? No, 9? Is it 9 or 10? 9. 9 signs. 9 signs that you are facing burnout in your life, that your soul is in, a, is in, a, is in an unhealthy state which is contributing to why you're tired, why you're sick, why you're weak, why you're not very much free. Now, we're going to assess ourselves based upon this. I'm not here to assess you. You're here to examine yourself 
and see as we move through this list together tonight, I want you to be aware and maybe mark mentally, okay, yep, yeah, this is going on, yep, yeah, this is going on. And if you've got three or four of these happening in your life, that may well mean you are in a weakened state, you're not healthy emotionally, and then you become the whom by which the enemy can come in and to devour your life. And so you can begin to move forward and catch these little foxes. Everybody picking it up while I'm putting down? All right. So allow the Lord to, to speak to you tonight so your want to can become a reality. Everybody desires to want to be a, a great Christ follower. We want to go deeper. We just sang it. We want a fire to be set down in our soul. Well, I can tell you this will be very practical for us to how that can actually happen. And we don't just sing about it up in the ethereal, nebulous world of the Spirit, but how it's a very practical thing for us to do, and it can be a reality for us. You ready? So get your pen ready. You can uh, fill in the blanks, keeping you from going to sleep. Here are the signs. We're going to move through them at a, at, a, at a pretty good click. I will elaborate on some more than others. One, your motivation is fading. Your motivation is fading. Your motivation. Simply this, your passion that once fueled you is now gone. You have a sense of a loss of motivation. That which once brought you excitement and fun that woke you up in the morning, it is beginning to fade. Or it has shifted to your pain. Now your motivation is more focused upon your pain than it is your passion. For example, if I walk up to Renee Glover and I take a 50-pound rock and I drop it on his foot, his pain is going to become the center of his motivation. Isn't it? Everything else that he's concerned about right now is going to immediately shift to this enormous amount of pain that's being afflicted. See, one of the ways we begin to lose the motivation for the things that count is our motivation shifts to our pain. If we have pain in our life, hurt, unforgiveness, all these things, it begins to shift toward that. It's a, it's a sign of burnout. Is that you? Is it me? Is your motivation, is your drive beginning to fade? Number two, your main emotion is numbness. Your main emotion is numbness. What does that mean? That you no longer feel the highs or the lows. You no longer feel the highs or the lows. You may say something like this, I just cannot feel what I'm supposed to feel anymore. Now let me remind you for a moment, just because you have one of these things does not mean you're facing ultimate burnout. These are signs on the registry of your life, markers, indicators that something's going wrong. Like when you go to the doctor, they check your blood pressure, they check your O2 saturation, they check your height, they check your weight, they do a blood panel, they start looking at all these factors, right? These are what these are. These are things that we're checking in our life. Is that you? You no longer feel highs, you no longer feel lows. Number three, people drain you. People drain you, all right? Now, of course, there are always people that are going to seek to drain you, right? You're never going to change that in the universe. There are always people that are going to drain you, but specifically here, not everybody all the time should drain you. See, this is the sign. If everybody all the time just drains you, 
You have no patience, no tolerance. They are sucking you dry. You don't have time for them anymore. Few to no people ever energize you anymore. You want to be alone. People drain you, so you begin to withdraw yourself. I want you to think about this. Solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is not. Solitude is a gift from God. We need that. Isolation is not a gift from God. It is a tool of the enemy. If you are isolating yourself, that could be a sign that you are experiencing this thing called burnout. Number four, little things make you disproportionately angry. Little things make you disproportionately angry. Losing your cool over small things. I, by nature, am not an angry person, but I have noticed in my life when I'm running a little thin and I'm moving in areas where I'm not healthy, I'm moving toward burnout, I find myself getting angry at things that would no longer anger me. We were going through a difficult uh, season one time, and I remember, I may have told you the story, but it's definitely worth repeating. My son, Matthew, loves Legos. And over time, you accumulate a lot of Legos. So we had this big Tupperware kind of container that had all these Legos. It'd be so wonderful to be able to convert that into the money we paid for it. But we had all this, all these, you know, Legos. And he'd make a, he'd make a big mess of these, you know, Legos. And suddenly you can play with them, pick them back up. And one day, I got in from the office and, and I, you know, walked into his room. And, and he had dumped out the whole thing of Legos. I mean, they literally, you couldn't see the floor in his room. They were covered with Legos. They were spilling out into the, into the room. And I want you to know, I got disproportionately angry. I mean, something flared up in me that must have come from the pit of hell itself. And it wasn't good. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't righteous. It was terrible. I reached out to grab him in anger. The problem was I had to step on the Legos to get to him, right? But I reached out to grab him, and I tried to grab him, but the Legos were hurting me, so I only got a little bit of a grip of his hand, and I pulled back, and I couldn't hold him. I let go. My son fell face first into the Legos, all right? Face first. Got a little cut. Now, Mama Hen is hearing this from the kitchen. Now, she runs into the room, and I want you to let the evidence speak for themselves. Here's Dad, disproportionately angry, with his son on the floor on top of the Legos bleeding. What's the diagnosis? I will spare you the details of that story. But let's just say there was not peace in the pastor's home that night. All right? Please never think we pastors have it all together. We, have, we are just like you, right? In other words, any form of emotion in your life that is disproportionate, right, often is a sign something is awry. Something's right. Something going wrong in your spirit when it's a disproportionate anger. Number five, you're becoming cynical. Cynical. Cynicism. Used to be an ancient group of Greek philosophers that were known as the cynics. And hence we adopted the word cynicism, and you can become cynical. Cynical is simply this. It means this that you have ascribed to the belief that everybody is selfish and dishonest. That's your worldview. Everybody that you know, everybody that you will know or could know, everybody is just selfish and dishonest, and you don't care about anything anymore, and you become indifferent toward people. That's what cynicism does. 
I will tell you, I've had to fight this one off on several times. Cynicism. You're becoming cynical. Number six, your productivity is dropping. Your productivity is dropping. You're working long hours, but producing little. Is that you? What used to take you five minutes now takes you 45 minutes. You're working harder, but you're getting less done. You're less productive. There might be something going on. Number seven, you're self-medicating. You're self-medicating. If you don't provide soul care, self-care, you will end up self-medicating. Now here, I don't want you to think just about pills or illegal drugs. There are many socially acceptable ways for Christians to self-medicate. That's not illegal. Are you ready for these? Here are just a couple of ways that if you're facing burnout, you might be self-medicating. If you're kind of taking notes, that's the lines right under that. You'll see them. The first one hits me between the face. Overeating. Overeating is a way we tend to self-medicate. Food can oftentimes be the drug of choice for many. We in the South like to refer to meatloaf and mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese and biscuits as what? Comfort foods, don't we? Comfort foods. In fact, I think you could used to go into the Cracker Barrel and look at the menu, and I think it actually used those exact words. We specialize in comfort food. Now think about the implication of that statement. We kind of laugh at it, but what's really going on there? We are comforting ourselves with what? Food. Scripture says we are to comfort others with the same comfort we have been comforted by, and that is not food. That is Jesus, right? God help us. Overeating, the drug of choice. It's a way oftentimes we self-medicate. We laugh at it, but it's very serious, isn't it? Another way we can self-medicate is working more. Working more. Working more. Oftentimes in the society that we live in, it's actually a virtue to work more. It's bragging, right? Oh, man, I worked 80 hours this week. Oh, I worked 85 hours this week. And we get in circles and we're like boasting. I work more than you. Well, I work more. Five. So we actually have turned working more into a virtue, but it's not a virtue. Can I tell you all work and no play doesn't make you dull. It makes you disobedient, you know? Yeah, it will make you dull, but it also makes you disobedient as well. There's no virtue in working yourself to death. Now, let me just set a disclaimer as I look in the eyes of my beautiful wife sitting out there. I do not have all these mastered yet. Everybody cool? In no way have I figured all this thing out. I am just the messenger. I'm being impacted by this just like you guys are. Because I would tend to be in this category. Work more, longer, harder. It can be a form of self-medication. It's not a virtue. Another form of self-medication is gossip. Gossip. It's funny, when we feel bad about ourselves, we tend to say bad things about other people. Think about that? If we start feeling bad about ourselves and we're in the doldrums, we lend ourselves to be used by gossip. If we fail to take care of ourselves, it causes the toxins to build up in us. And we have this thing to take down other people. 
It's a sad truth, isn't it? Are you guilty of gossip? Are you self-medicating? Somebody once said that somehow we think if we blow out somebody else's candle, it makes ours burn brighter. Does it really? The whole room is dimmer, isn't it? But it's kind of a sadistic, sick sort of satisfaction that I blew out your candle. You know, misery loves company, doesn't it? If you're miserable, there's something satisfying to make somebody else miserable. That's how gossip works. Another form of self-medication is spending. Spending. We call it retail therapy at the mall. Retail therapy. We're going to go out and just spend lots of money. It's the constant climb into a bigger house or a nicer car. The acquisition of the latest tech or the, what is the next thing that's the coolest trend. And we're on that climb of getting more and more stuff or self-medicating through purchasing. We have a member of our family that was going through some difficult times for, for a long time. And, and this person would self-medicate through QVC. Who knows what QVC is? Like the home shopping network? We would, we would go to this person's house and literally the entire living room and dining room was full of QVC boxes of all kind of stuff. Things you can't imagine. Useless things. And this person, once they left her unsatisfied, would have passed this junk off to us. <laughs> right? Here, you can have this. Self-medication through spending. And it gets a little bit serious here. Under the radar substance abuse. Under the radar substance abuse. A little drink, a little puff, a little misuse of legitimate medications. We slowly turn to a substance and not to God. Keep it under the radar. Oh, it's okay. An extra pill here, is that going to hurt me? I really need that drink, you know, not because it's just because... I need, I need help. Sleeping. I have no problem with drinking alcohol. I have a problem with over-drinking of alcohol or drinking it for the wrong reasons. Any pill, any drink that you're having to use to compensate for something else is the beginning. It is a, it is a sign there's, there's something wrong in the force, right? Something's wrong going on inside us. The next one. Binge entertainment can be a form of Self-medication. Binge entertainment. Boy, Netflix has given us the ability to binge on entertainment. We lose ourselves in a program. We lose ourselves in a set of movies. And we're tired of life. And we just sit in front of it for hours upon hours upon end. Some of you start watching NCIS and there's only 15,000 seasons of it. So you can literally, we can burn through two years just watching NCIS. Okay, how much you like Mark Harmon? You just, is enough is enough. Right, but seriously, binge entertainment, whether it's a Netflix or movies or books or magazine, you're using entertainment to cover something else that's, that's going on in, inside. All right, skipping to number eight. You don't laugh anymore. You don't laugh anymore. Nothing seems fun or funny. At its worst, you begin to resent people who even enjoy life. When you quit a laughing, you can start resenting people who actually are happy. Do you do that? When you get around somebody really happy and full of joy, you get like, oh, you know, what's wrong with them? They must be on something. They must be self-medicating. 
Number nine of these factors. Sleep and time off no longer refuel you. Sleep and time off no longer refuel you. Sometimes you're not necessarily burned out. You're just tired. But for some of us, you could have a whole month off from work and still come back and feel no different. It can happen. Now, as we've gone through these nine things, again, each one of them is probably worthy of a whole seminar by itself, right? But probably as we've been going, going through these, the, the Holy Spirit's been saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's causing you to examine the condition of your, of your soul and your heart. And what you see a lot of these things have to do with is the desperate need that we have for healthy patterns in our life. Things that we consistently do on a regular basis. How do you stay healthy? In other words, when, if, 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 if we begin to read this list and if there's any of these factors that are at work inside of your heart, what, what, what steps do you need to begin taking right away to get yourself healthy? How do you go from surviving to thriving, somebody once said. Don't you want to do more than just survive? Don't you want to thrive? Do you think that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus? That, that He has come that you might have what? Life and life more abundantly? Not just to survive, but to, but to thrive, to, to live out of the overflow and not out of the bottom of the barrel? This is the kind of God that we serve. This is the type of person the Holy Spirit is who indwells us. So how do we get to that place? We've got to take excellent care of ourselves. We've got we to take care of our soul. We've got to stay emotionally and spiritually and relationally and physically healthy. These concepts are easy to understand, aren't they? We all are going to, well, yeah, yeah, I need to stay emotionally and spiritually and relationally and physically healthy. It's easy to understand, but it takes discipline to realize this in your life. Discipline. Nobody likes it, but we all need it. And it is, a, it is a prerequisite for any forward momentum you want or I want in any area of our life. It's going to require discipline. It never happened in the recliner. It never happened on the massage table. It, it never happened there, right? It takes something in us that says, Lord, I aspire to this. Where these things that we don't just sing about actually require something. Lord, take me deeper still, deeper still, deeper still. We sing it, we have our hands up, we shout. We, not you, we. And we go outside and we're still walking in shallow water. We sing about going deeper, but we're still in the same three inches we've been in for years. Something has to move us forward, right? And that's the discipline of the Lord that comes through a desire for more of Him. You see, true discipline, true biblical discipline, godly discipline, the prerequisite is desire. You see, not discipline that's forced on you or mandated, not hooking you up to the chain gang and putting you out. Jesus didn't call you to a chain gang. It's not forced upon us. It's our, it's our desire for him. See, if we have a true desire for him, the desire is going to produce discipline. If there's no discipline, there's a desire problem. If there's, if there's a lack of desire, then you could be facing burnout because burnout will emasculate you of desire. But when you begin to take care of yourself, desire is one of the first things that begins to emerge. And it begins to create the desire for discipline in our heart. Listen to what Paul talks about. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 24. I'm going to read it to you in the um, amplified version, so it'll take ten times longer. But it's actually a, it's actually a good 
a good version of this. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run their very best to win, but only one receives the prize? Run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, like shadow boxing, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. Look at this now. This is, this is this guy called Paul we adhere to so much. I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified. Isn't that something? I discipline myself making my body my slave. So when I have proclaimed the unsearchable glorious riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my life doesn't crumble out from under me to all in front of all those who have heard. And I have disqualified myself from the very message that I preached. You see? Discipline is, is essential to move us beyond hypocrisy into authenticity. You see? You want to get past hypocrisy? Get into discipline. And it'll move you into authenticity. I want to share with you some, an example of what I'm talking about. There's a church in South Carolina called New Life Church. Pastor named Perry Noble. Perry Noble started this church 17 years ago. Great man of God. The church runs now 30,000 people, just a small little church. I've read some of his stuff. Perry Noble resigned his church the first of this month. First of this month. And I want to read to you the letter he had read to his church on his behalf on the first Sunday of last month from Perry Noble to his church. You ready? This is what happens when we don't take care of ourselves. Hello, New Spring. I hope all of you had an amazing week, and I know the service today is going to be awesome. However, I come to you with a heavy heart to let you know that effective Friday, July 1st, I will no longer be the senior pastor of New Spring Church. I wish this were a joke, a part of a sermon illustration. However, it's true. I have often told you that New Spring exists to help hurting, imperfect people. I have joked that you should not attend New Spring if you are already perfect because I will mess you up. That was my way of telling you that I am traveling on a journey each day alongside each one of you to try to take my next step to become more like Jesus. If you have attended New Spring for any length of time, you know I've never claimed to be the perfect pastor or even more the perfect Christian. What we've seen the Lord do over the past 16 years has been a modern day miracle. However, in my obsession to do everything possible to reach 100,000 and beyond, it has come at a personal cost in my own life and created a strain on my marriage. In my opinion, the Bible does not prohibit the use of alcohol, but it does prohibit drunkenness and intoxication. I never had a problem drinking alcohol socially, but in the past year or so I have allowed myself to slide into, in my opinion, the overuse of alcohol. This was a spiritual and moral mistake on my part as I began to depend on alcohol for my refuge instead of Jesus and others. I have no excuse. This was wrong, sinful, and I am truly sorry. 
For those who are disappointed in me, let me assure you, no one is more disappointed in me than myself. I realize that I cannot continue to do effective ministry if this issue in my personal life is not adequately addressed. And he goes on. I have a lot of respect for Perry Noble. A lot of respect for his decision. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Right? Burnout. Not taking care of his, his heart. This is a pastor, right? The guy that should have known better. But shouldn't we all know better? And then, he, and then he fell. He goes on the letter and says, listen, there's no immoral sin I haven't committed adultery, haven't stolen money, but yet this has eroded my ability to lead. I ask you to please forgive me as I go forward. You know, we've all found ourselves in places like that, haven't we? If we are in a burned out situation, we're on the verge of something like that. We must examine ourselves and stay healthy. Let me run through this list real quick, and unfortunately we're not going to have the time, I hope to, at the um, end, but I want us to, I want us to get these things down. How to stay healthy. How to, how, 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 what are some very practical things that, that, that you and, and, that, and, that, and I can do immediately to begin taking care of who I am, that these things don't, don't happen to us, and, and, that, and that we're not in the whom category, that the devil is just going to ravage over time. How to stay healthy. Number one, have a great daily time with God. <laughs> should go without saying, but we should say it, shouldn't we? Have a great daily time with God. Time with God matters. Time with God matters. It matters a lot. If we're not spending time with Him, we're not allowing Him to influence us. And if He's not influencing us, who is? Spend time with God, not just personal time with you and Jesus in your prayer closet, but spend time with God, with God's people. It's not just enough to spend time alone with God. You've got to get around the body of Christ and spend time with Jesus in his body like you're doing tonight. It's edifying and it builds us up. Nothing takes the place in spending time with God. If you're not doing that, everything else I'm going to share with you really means nothing. It is the foundation on which everything is built. If you do not spend time with God every day, then you are at risk, grave risk, grave risk. I'm not going to define that for you. Five minutes, 50 minutes, five hours, I don't know. That's, that's religiosity and a religious fair sacred for me to tell you exactly how that time with God needs to look. But find it in a park, in a car, in a closet, in the backwoods. And I don't, find it, whatever it looks like. Find time with Him alone and get your beautiful self around God's body. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, small group, elevate. I mean, just get around the people of God. Number two, it should go without saying, but family time. Family time. Have some fun with your family. Sometimes family time isn't fun. I get that. Some of us have families that aren't very fun. Right? I get it. But sometimes, you know, your family is not just your biological family. Sometimes you're the, your closest family is the family of God in your life. Right? Get around your family. Family time. Build memories with your family. Create situations for memories to happen. That's fun. My wife is the queen of this. She's so good at helping to create opportunities. We have climbed Stone Mountain so many times in 26 years of marriage you can't imagine. But I can tell you something about that mountain 
Something about that place. Nothing magical about it, but on that place, there are memories because we got our family there. The talks that we had going up the mountain, talks that we had coming down the mountain, talks that we had going around the mountain, talks that we had riding the sky bucket up, sky bucket down, kids getting lost. Memories, right? You're creating situations to build memories and happy memories and fun memories with your family. Family time is essential in keeping your, yourself healthy and doing what the Bible says. Number three, a healthy diet. Somebody say, oh no, I know who's going to go there. A healthy diet. They say you are what you eat. Boy, that's a sad truth, isn't it? Every day medical science proves daily, daily, right? We learn how broken the food chain is and how closely our physical and mental health is tied to what we eat. If we eat junk food, how are you going to feel like junk? I've been there. I've been on the other side of the binge eating disorder. I know what it's like to sit down and eat a whole large pizza and how I feel afterwards. If you don't think there's a connection between what you eat and how you feel, you're, you're, you're messed up. A healthy diet has a lot to do, what we, what we put in has a lot to do with our health, our emotional health. Number four, proper sleep. Proper sleep. In some circles, again, like working too much, it's actually cool to brag about how little sleep you get. Ever been around people like that? Yeah, man, I only got four hours sleep last night because I've been working so hard. Or, you know, we, we kind of brag about it. Like, like, it's like a virtue. Oh, wow, you only got three hours sleep last night. Look how productive you are. Man, wow, you, you're a rock star. It's not a virtue not to sleep. It's not a virtue not to sleep. It's a sign of idiocy and stupidity not to take care of yourself. I really think that sleep perhaps is one of the most underrated secret weapons of staying spiritually healthy. It really is. Because sleep has to do with peace, doesn't it? If you're, asleep, if, if you're sleeping, you're at peace. I'm glad there's no teenagers in the room right now. They would use this against you. All right. Proper sleep. Number five, intentional white space in your calendar. Intentional white space in your calendar. This is the area I'm really trying to get a little bit better about here. What does that mean? Simply as this, make appointments with yourself. That's all it means. Make an appointment with yourself. I am great at making appointments with everybody and their brother. I will, I will from sunup to sundown, I will run my life on, on appointments. But when was the last time I made an appointment with myself? To sit down, to take time off, to study, to read a good book, just downtime. If you don't schedule it, it will never happen. Build time, build time in, intentional white space in your calendar on a regular basis. Number six, healthy friendships. Lord knows we have enough unhealthy ones, don't we? Come on. I mean healthy friendships. When was the last time you hung out with a friend that was not a drain? It's okay to hang out with people like that, but you need to hang out with people that aren't a drain, that actually build you. When was the last time... You were hanging out with a group of friends and people that you laughed until you cried. A few nights ago, we were at a restaurant, Ted's, with a group of uh, those kind of friends. And we were kind of talking and got kind of silly. I started laughing until I almost ruptured. Anybody been there? Over something so stupid, right? But it was just, it was funny and I just laughed, tears coming down, hyperventilating kind of laugh. You know how, you know how that, that's so good, isn't it? Because see, regular doses of life-giving relationships make a huge difference in all of our lives. 
life-giving people, life-giving folks that will cause that to happen in you is so healthy. Paul understood that, right? Someone once said everybody needs a Paul in their life and everybody needs a Barnabas in their life and everybody needs a Timothy in their life. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs somebody you're mentoring and everybody needs Barnabas, son of encouragement. You got to have people like that. You got to have somebody that is teaching you, somebody that you're teaching and somebody that's encouraging you. It's life-giving relationships make a huge difference. Number seven, create margin. Create margin. Some of us live and hover next to the cliff in every area of our life. Time, maybe even maybe money financially. We're always like on the brink of losing everything. There's just no margin in anything. You know, we're just right up next to the cliff. What happens if you have no margin and your whole life is lived on the edge of the cliff? It's impossible to walk every day of your life and not fall and trip. What happens if you trip when there's no margin and you're close to the cliff? Boop, down you go. When you have margin, you have space. For when you do trip, you're going to fall and it's not off the cliff. Work to create margin in your life. Work to have a little bit of a balance in your checkbook, and it's not always overdrawn. My mom was an expert at this, and Dad knows my mom would make deposits in her checkbook, and she would not enter that deposit into the registry. That was one of her little techniques. So when she did her balance, it said, all right, there's, there's you know, 500, but in reality, there was like 5,000 there, because my mom was a, was a nut job that way. But, I mean, she created a lot of financial margin that way. She hid it in her checkbook. She hid it even from herself. But it was there. And because she did that, because of that margin, oftentimes Dad and I had something neat and clothes to wear and electricity in the house because she worked hard to create margin. Even in difficult, hard times, she was disciplined, disciplined to do that. The more margin you create in every area of your life, the more leeway you give yourself for a misstep every now and then, and you will have them. Number eight, Exercise. If you are out of shape physically, you will never be in top shape mentally or emotionally. It's true. If you are out of shape physically, you will never be in top shape mentally or emotionally. Remember I said we are trichotomist. It means that we are body, soul, and spirit hardwired together. We are not dualistic, meaning that we can kind of totally separate. We are fully integrated beings. What I do physically is going to have an effect on me spiritually, emotionally, and mentally in every other area. And if we don't exercise and we're not in good shape, I don't mean you have to, you know, have to run a marathon. You know what I'm saying. I mean, 20 minutes three times a week, all right? Move, right? Science tells us an object in motion tends to what? Stay in motion. An, option, an object not in motion tends to what? It stays not in motion. Move. Do something, Right? Take care of this thing, this clay pot that we're in. Now, you know what? It's a clay pot. But we have this treasure in this earthen vessel. And this earthen vessel holds the ability to convey the treasure inside of us. If we don't take care of the pot, that's going to inhibit the ability for the treasure to come out. Exercise. Number nine. Coaching and counseling. Coaching and counseling. What does that mean? Seek out and let people in. Who can help you? Seek out and let people in, in, in quotation marks, 
Let them in. Who can help you? Remember I said, you know, solitude is a gift from God, but isolation is a trick of the enemy? You know, you got you to, part of the discipline of the Lord is to, is to, is to seek out people who are, who are going to speak into your life. Sometimes we think, well, I'm, I, I'm in such bad shape, I've got to go to counseling. Can I say, if you don't go to counseling, you're going to be in bad shape? I mean, I don't mean to go out and necessarily talk to a therapeutic counselor. I mean, I don't, I mean, but you seek out people, coaches, people in your life, and let them in. Maybe you need to go see a counselor. Maybe, maybe you have some issues that you are struggling with. Seek them out. They're not going to knock on your door. I have found in the course of all of our lives, it's called the concentric circles of relationships. Right? Concentric, here's what concentric circles are. One, a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger. It keeps going out, right? Well, and you're in the middle one. And oftentimes we treat our relationships like taking a whole handful of marbles and we just throw them in the midst of the concentric circles and the marbles just kind of end up. Those marbles that, you know, land in the little circle nearest to you are your most close confidants and so forth and go on. And most of us treat it as a very random thing. We tell young people to be more intentional about your relationships. There are certain marbles that you need to move from the eighth concentric circle out all the way in there. Manage it. There are some people in your concentric circle that that's the closest to you or those kind of people that drain you. You may need to like say, I'm going to take you, I'm going to move you several layers out. Now you don't have to call them and tell them you're doing that. <laughs> Barbara, I love you, but I'm moving you several layers out. But do it in your heart, do it in your mind, do it in your practice. Intentionality on putting people in your life that, that, can, that can help you, that can build you up. That's a, that's a tremendous discipline. And number 10, and lastly, selfless giving. Selfless giving. What does that mean? Actively, actively be part of something where you are not the direct beneficiary of what you're doing. Get that? Actively be part of something where you are not the direct beneficiary of what you're doing. You will find that those moments are the most deeply satisfying and the most deeply encouraging.